Welcome back to another episode of Interview You. This is your host, Lewis Shine. And hey, I have another special episode today. Um, but before I get into what are we going to talk about today, um, I want to shout out my partners, uh, Dr. Dish. Uh, first of all, again, shout out to Dr. Dish for their recent partnership with FIBA, um, as well as many other partnerships that they have um, you know, um, partner with a lot of different entities lately. Um, just want to shout out them for this, just their advancement and, um, you know, and, um, partnering with different people and getting out there more and, and, and touching lives, because I believe that not only with the products that they have, um, are they significant to the basketball space, but they're also significant because of the care behind what they do. They care about people. They care about, um, you know, the individuals that um, are inspired um, behind what they do. So, I mean, you can totally see that um, as they post on social media, some of the things that they're doing. Um, it's very amazing. And I'm so honored to be partnered with them. Um, and they make great um, machines, great, great products. Um, you know, if you're in the market for a product from them, a shooting machine, you can join, you know, programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, countless others. Even when I coached at the D1 level, we had a Dr. Dish machine and I would use it with my players. So um, I know what the product is like. Um, you know, I've used it. Um, I stand behind it. Um, make sure if you're in the market for a shooting machine, check out Dr. Dish. Um, they've revolutionized the industry. Make sure you visit their website, drdishbasketball.com. That's drdishbasketball.com. And on social media, Dr. Dish B-Ball. Make sure you check them out. Give them a follow. Check out some of their recent posts. They have a lot of great content that will not only help yourself or your players or or your children that play basketball. Um, I believe it will help you out greatly. And also, um, our other partner, Dr. Um, David Roberts State Farm. That's David Roberts State Farm for your auto home insurance needs, life insurance. Make sure that if you're in the Ohio area, um, please visit agentdavidroberts.com. That's agentdavidroberts.com. Or you can reach them by calling 419-420-7700. That's 419-420-7700. Hey, well, I got an exciting episode today. I want to continue to talk about um, my new book, um, which is called Defense Keys to Becoming a Top Defensive Team. Um, This book is is such a passion of mine because, um, you know, as a player, I had to make my way on defense. Um, As a coach, um, I was able to bring significant things um, to the table on the defensive side that actually when I put them into play, um, namely as I as I became an active acting head coach at the Division Two level, I was able to put some of these things into play, and because of that, I saw tremendous results. You know, I'm talking top ten in the nation in several category type results, and you know the biggest thing that I can can um, give to you about this experience was that I did it on purpose. It wasn't a, Ooh, we're, we're top 10 in the nation. You know, it wasn't a surprise. It was, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to shoot for this and we're going to attain it. And so, you know, that's the, one of the biggest things I want you to know about this book. As you, as you go through it, as you read it, as you contemplate reading it, um, as you contemplate purchasing it from my website, lewisshine.com, 
Um, I'm telling you, I believe that it will be a blessing to you. It's one of those books that can change the landscape of your coaching and your team. Um, you know, as many teams right now are going through um, starting their season, um, even some teams are yet to start their season. Um, you know, with everything with COVID, there a lot of seasons being pushed to January. You know, mainly uh, those other than D- Division One because Division One has started. Um, you have an opportunity to get these things inside of you and implement them um, into your, the structure of your team's defensive strategy um, while you're yet early in the season or like some of those teams I mentioned before your season starts. And so I just wanted to take a few episodes just to talk about the book and really just give you some, uh, I guess, character behind the things I'm putting in the book so that you can understand it a little more, because I'll tell you, in writing this ebook, it's it was challenging to the point where it's hard to put everything in there. <laughs> it is so hard to put everything about a, a chapter or a topic in 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 the pages that you know you want to put them in. It's and some things you know as you put in for others to read, um, you can't convey everything just by the words you put on a page. Sometimes you just got to talk it out. And so that's why I'm doing this as well as I'm actually sending a special link out for the people who have uh, supported and purchased the book um, to, um, you know, an invite to my Zoom meeting. I want to have a special Zoom meeting for those who have supported and purchased this project just so I could talk a little more through, um, you know, the book and answer any questions or, you know, just talk through any concepts that they want, may want to know more about. And so um, I just really want to help teams. You know, it's, it's not about anything other than just wanting to help teams. You know, I, I love the game. I'm not coaching this year, um, not by choice. Um, you know, many, many um, interviews throughout the offseason and, and some promising ones, but um, not coaching this year. But I still want to be relevant to the space. And um, so I just wanted to offer this up, you know, this ebook. Um, I believe it'll be a blessing to teams. Um, I believe it'll be a blessing to what you're trying to do and to in accomplishing your coaching goals. And even as a player, if a player reads this, I believe you can get insight from a, a coaches or a leadership standpoint in implementing defensive strategies into a game. And I think that when you learn from that side of things, I think it'll give you an edge as a player as you go on the court um, to where you won't just look at it as from a player standpoint, you'll look at an overall picture and it'll make your individual defense, which is one of the things that you can control the most on the court. It'll make your individual defense better. Um, it'll, it'll allow you to approach it from a strategist standpoint, which, and that's me, I'm a strategist. And my thing, I heard a quote earlier today that said um, something to the effect of as a, uh, um, if you're, if you're, if you're a champion, champions don't compete. Champions dominate. So that was always my mindset in coming to the game. I'm not trying to compete. I'm trying to dominate. If I'm going to compete, of course, you know, on the bottom level, you're competing, you know, that's, that's the, that's the, uh, universal term. You know, we're in a competition, we're competing, you know, when they go through the, uh, um, you know, when they go through the uh, sportsmanship clause and they you know some arenas that you go to, they'll say that um, before uh, the, the, the competition starts. But, you know, to get more technical with it on my side of things, I'm not coming to compete. I'm coming to dominate. And and, and so from that, 
my mind automatically goes, it doesn't say, hey, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to try to win this game. You know, when, when I scout, I come to the game and I come to the table or to my laptop to start formulating my scouting report. I come to it saying, how can I dominate this team tonight? How can I win this game? And I think that's the that's the question of every coach. But however, there are probably some games that you go to where it's like, oh, man, how are we going to win this? But I, I, I am here to tell you that you you can win any game you want. Now, the end of it may not always come out like that. But but what I'm saying is. This is what I'm saying. You got to approach it like there's a game and you have the possibility to win. And so now the question needs to be, how can I win this game? And so there's endless ways that you can begin to brainstorm on. You can look at all the things on the court. You know, you can you can put your offense against their defense. How will that work? Their players against your players where they're bigger than us or they're stronger, faster. You know, you can you can look at those things. Those things are all good to look at. But when there's deficiencies and you begin to say, you know what, man, they, you know, we're a D2 team and we're playing a top five D1 from a power five conference. How the heck are we going to win? And I'm here to tell you that it's possible. But you but when you have that kind of situation, you have to begin to think outside of the box. You can't just think, well, we're just going to run this play and see what happens. No, you have to start to think at. Think up, think about other things that can get you the win. Um, you know, quick example, and then I'll kind of go into this second chapter of my book. Um, if if a team is pressuring you in a certain area, let's just say, let's just say their fast break is just, just oh my gosh, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's like wow, like we we are not faster than them. When they get out and go, they just blow past us. You know, so instead of hey yelling at your players like, hey, you got to run faster. You got to get back. You know, that that's probably not the way to attack it, because if they take the first or second quarter and they're blowing past you with fast breaks off the rebound, that's probably not the way you're going to beat them, because you could probably see that, man, our players just can't get back. So you start to strategize. And, and, And like I say, sometimes you have to think about you can't just think about the things that naturally come to you, like run faster. Y'all got to get back or you know, you got to assess it and say, you know what? That's not working. That's not going to beat them. Okay. What can we do? So a lot of times in a game, a context of a game, you have to, as a coach, come with some things that you can pull out your bag. You, you, you can't just have your plays and your, your list of plays and just think that if you run the right one or you don't run the right one and that's going to work, or it's just, that's how the normal coach thinks. That's how normal coaches think. But to be a champion, to come to the game and dominate the game, you got to think about things that people normally don't think about. And I learned about a lot of those things. I challenged myself to think how think out the box by watching coaches that were champions. And then I said, hey, what are they doing? But what are they not doing? You know, and I challenged myself to look at it from there. So I've studied champions. I've studied the the, the Patriots and the Yukon. And I, I probably watch every video that Gino has put out there. Like when I was coaching, it's just like, I was trying to find something. What is he doing when they're in the locker room and they're showing the video of the locker room? I'm not looking at, Ooh, they have a nice locker room. You know, those, 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 uh, lockers are really nice. I'm trying to get what he's put on the board. Like when the camera pans, 
past the board. I'm like, what is what did he put on that board? I'm, I'm trying to peek at that. I'm rewinding it to see if the camera will catch. What did he write on his board during the pregame? Like you have to think about things that are going to um, get you a win and get you to the place where you're dominating. That may not be like um, normal, like, hey, we didn't run the right plays or we we just couldn't get past their their two, three zone or whatever. But if you if you if you stop there, then what do you do? Like, do you just throw the towel in and just, hey, ladies, play your best and or, or guys play your best. And when the fourth quarter hits, when you're getting blew out, you're just going to put your bench in. Like, are you going to give up that easy? So you have to train yourself to think differently. And so what I'm saying here, if a team is putting pressure on you in a certain area, you have to a lot of the times find out if you can't directly beat them by your ability or by play calling, you have to look at different ways where you can put pressure on them. That's going to shift the momentum in the, in the arena. It's like, okay, they're beating us in this fast break, but we're shooting the lights out in three pointers and they can't stop it. So they're going to have to, the coach naturally, you're going to shift your energy to try to stop what another team is doing to you. And the great teams, they can keep both of them up. They can shift it to stop you and still do what they're doing best. But you don't get a lot of teams doing that. So that's one tactic that I've used. Um, If I know a team is uh, great at something, I'm going to get tactical with them and say, you know what? All right. If they have two or three starters that are doing real well, but here you got one starter that's foul prone. Well, I'm going to come to the game and I want to try to draw a quick foul on that player. So, don't be afraid of losing a foul um, at trying to draw a foul. So now they got one of their good players. And then in the first minute you draw a foul. So now one of those starters on the other team, that's a good player. They have one foul. So on my bench, when I was in control of the bench and as an acting head coach on my bench, the next thing that happens, if, if one of those starters that's averaging a good amount of points, or it's just one of those impact players that helps them win games, if they get one foul, that next file, we're going right back at that player. So if it's a post player, we're going to go right back at that player because now that player is going to play a little more timid because they know they can't get that second file. Because if they get that second file within that first quarter, we're not going to see them to probably after halftime. So I'm going to start putting pressure there. And so now if I if that coach leaves that player in or doesn't switch off and I could throw it back in the post and go at them, if they get a second file, that player is coming out the game. So now you begin to put pressure in a different way. They have to change their game plan now because now that 10 to 15 points is not on the court. And so that's a way that you you just strategize and say, hey, I'm going to turn the pressure over here. So now I have to I change the pressure and now it makes that coach change something. That coach has to do something different. Um, so that's just one of those things that, you know, I say, like I say, you have to think outside the box. Um, you just can't look at it as X's and O's and if our plays don't match theirs and if they can't, if we can't beat their press or if, if we can't get past their two, three, it's, it's, we can't get the ball inside, start to think of other ways where you can shift. And, you know, I know it because I've, I've been a coach. And so I know how that, that pressure changes. It's like, we're over here doing something, but then they're doing this and, and they're beating us on it. So I'm trying to change. I might call a timeout to change it. And that's another thing. You might get a team to call a timeout. And they burn a timeout. And, you know, um, as coaching D1, there's only so many timeouts we get. And so if you get a team to burn one early, 
um, because your game plan is you're changing things on them and they have to react and they can't react quick enough. They're going to call a timeout and you're going to burn it. So later on in the game, when they need it, you can play that against them. And when they need to call a timeout and you have yours, but you're not calling any and you're making them, they have to get the ball in against pressure. And, and so they can't call a timeout and stop, the, you know, you know, stop the time and have a timeout to bail them out. They can either get the ball in or they're going to get a five second call. You know, there's just different strategies that the game provides that you can kind of tap into. And because of things that happen, you can put pressure on teams in different ways. So that comes from just studying the game, just studying, studying, studying. You can never know enough. But my, my, my challenge to you is if you're a coach that's listening and you want to win and you're not just a coach like that's satisfied with having a job, because there are coaches that's just, hey, this is a job. I don't care. You know, and I'm not talking about anybody that's listening to this, but I have been in close proximity with some coaches like that. And. Their, 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 their thing is they, they're good, they're coaching, it pays the bills, go home, come back, it's all good. But I was the type of coach that's trying to hang banners up in that gym. I'm the type of coach that's trying to get some more jewelry on my fingers. You know, I'm trying to get championships. Like, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it. If I'm not going to try to win, I might as well go sit down somewhere and let somebody else coach that has the zeal to want to win. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to win. So that's just me, you know? And so based off of that, that's what I flood and that's what I have put into my book, the 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 tenacity, the the fervor, the the zeal. Um and when you read this book, you'll 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 understand where I'm coming from. You'll you'll see everything in there and you'll read it by listening to this podcast, you'll read it with a different light. You'll you'll understand me and where I was coming from and you'll understand some of the things I put in the book. So uh with that, let's go to if you have the book, we're gonna go to uh the second section, the last podcast, I, I covered full core pressing, which I completely love. I mean, it, it offers so many strategies and it, it's amazing. Like I don't ever if I coached in the NBA, I would probably full core press. And a lot of teams there don't. But if you're trying to win, there's some things that you can do, um, no matter what level you are, that can present a challenge to the opposing team. So um, steals per game, steals per game is my second section in my book. Um, steals per game for us was what we lived by that was the heartbeat of our team we we love turnovers uh, we finished the 2017-2018 season fifth in the nation in steals per game um, out of 29 games uh 23 and 6 record um, we had 400 steals and we averaged 13.8 steals per game um and that was just our average, you know, uh, we'll talk about turnovers next time because we actually averaged 25 turnovers a game. Um, but steals, we were at 13.8 and, um, Ashland, Ashland was on my hit list because Ashland finished the season at, with 16.1 steals per game. They were on my hit list because like they were the national champ and I wanted to go after it. I wanted to meet them. You know, I watched a lot of their stuff because I was coming after them. That was just my mindset, you know? Um, Another uh, school that I won't mention was on uh, the list as well. And they were on my hit list because um, they ended up offering me a full ride scholarship. And in 24 hours, they rescinded it because another player that they offered that decommitted and came back and committed, um, they gave it to them. And so I just use anything, you know, I use anything to uh, put a team on my hit list because I'm coming after them, you know? So anyway, we were fifth in the nation in steals per game and 13.8 uh, uh, steals per game. Um, and so we were trying to push that thing up there. Um, anytime that we had a, uh, a scouting report, 
You know, my goal was to hit 15 or more steals um, because I always push our players to get more than what our average is, because that's going to help us to continue to um, progress and go higher and push for more. We're never going to be content at just um, having what we have currently. You know, we're going to continue to push. You know, it was my belief we could get 20 steals per game, but we were going to keep pushing it. And with steals per game, because we had this high average in the in the in the uh in the nation, we were fifth in the nation, but it was on purpose. Like I mentioned earlier, it wasn't a um, thing where it automatically happened or it was like, uh, well, hey, you know, we're going to see what happens or see see where we fall. I mean, you got to think about it. There's um, I'm not sure the, the, the number, complete number, but I knew that when I was coaching at a division two level, it was like three hundred and forty nine uh, division two institutions, um, if I can remember correctly. Um, I could be wrong on that, so don't quote me on that. I haven't looked at it in a while, but uh, I want to say about 349 Division II institutions that were ranked, and the NCAA keeps ranking of this, and we were fifth in the nation, all right? So we we did it on purpose, and, you know, just as you uh, practice on, on shooting, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on shooting and shots up. If you want to be great at something, you can't just like let it happen by happenstance. And so as we put out our our, our shooting machine, like the Dr. Dish, like we did to get shots up so we can improve the shooting percentage so we can you know have the probability of getting more points statistically. Why not do to have the same mindset with steals? And so. I took time in practice to show players how to get steals. You know, I was a I was a thief myself on the court when I played. You know, I loved playing passing lanes. When I played football, I was a defensive back. You know, you're looking to get those interceptions, you know. So there's this tactic that you can use and and there's 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 strategies like sitting below the defense. So like if you know it as a point guard who has the ball and you're guarding one of the wings, one of the things I used to like to do was I would sit below the defense to where I'm kind of out of sight of the passer. So if I know the passer is a uh, has a certain angle and they're trying to get it to the wing, I might kind of duck out of sight or get low because a lot of times if you're low and in a defensive stance, which is amazing to be in a defensive stance, first and foremost, when you're in a defensive stance, a lot of times the, the you sit below the eyesight of, of the passer. And so I used to drill that. You got to be in defensive stance. If you're not in defensive stance in certain drills that we had, I kicked players out of the drill. You got to go to the side because a lot of our drills were point driven. And you get rewarded for doing what's right. And when you get rewarded, you don't have to run at the end of the drill. So there was a there was a, a, a method to the madness. And so what we did was uh, we made sure that players were in defensive stance, that they knew how to read the eyes of the of the passer, um, that they knew how to duck out of the sight of the passer so they wouldn't see you. Uh, a lot of times this would happen on um, blobs, baseline out of bounds plays. So, for instance. We know that on the baseline out of bounds plays, this is probably one of the most um, the the most available areas or times in a game where you can get steals because a lot of teams do the same thing. So, for instance, if you run your play, a team runs their play against you out baseline out of bounds, they're going to go through their progression. So whether that's a stack, whether that's a uh, uh, some kind of weave or or one four high or um you know, whatever they're running across, uh, whatever they're running for their baseline out of bounds play, they're going to run through their progression. So if they don't get any looks in the progression, you're looking at one one thousand, two one thousand, 
three one thousand. If they're not getting any looks now, then the the focus of the passer is going to shift to just getting the ball in. So answer this question within yourself: What does a team that cannot get the ball in bounds in about three three and a half four seconds, especially when it hits that four second mark? What do they do? Most teams are going to have a safety player, namely the point guard or someone else that they might rotate out to the top because they're going to get that pass. They, go, they want to get that pass over all of the action, over the, the head of the offense and the defense. And they want to get a pass all the way out to the top where they can easily get it in and, and start their offense. Well, if you know, you know, my team, we play really great defense for the baseline out of bounds. So I knew that when we guarded a team, you know, whether that's going through their progressions of their off their, their blob plays beforehand, so we can know kind of what they do. Or a lot of teams keep the same plays. Like I don't understand it. They keep the same plays game after game. So if I know they're setting up a certain way, we're gonna play pretty good defense on them so they can't get the ball inbounds throughout their progression. So a lot of teams against us, they would throw the ball over the top and hope that they can get it to their point guard. Well, for us, we made that a challenge. You know, I took it personal. You're not just going to throw the ball over everybody up to the top as a safety, you know, after three or four seconds pass when you're passing the ball in from out of bounds on a baseline about a bounds play. You're not just going to get that pass easy. So I knew that because our defense was pretty dynamic and face guarding and moving and, and switching and all that. A lot of teams would throw it up top. And when they threw it up top, we would intercept the ball. You know, um, I actually had a player that we called the safety that they were assigned to that top player and they were assigned to that pass going over the top of everybody to the top, the safety pass. They were assigned to intercept that pass. That is what they were. <laughs> I was about to say, what that's what they're born to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but in a nutshell, they were. So that pass was yours. So I taught that player, the safety, to sit below the defense. So when the baseline out of bounds passer Snap slaps the ball and they get the, you know, doing their screens or their weave or their stack. That player, their their only goal is to look for that pass. Now they're playing their man or whatnot, but they're looking for that pass. And if for some reason they got out of the way or they 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 rotated out of position, we had another player there. A lot of times on off, um defensive out of bounds sets um, for the offensive team, we would set up a two three. So that controlled who I would have up there for the safety. And so we had a safety. And so they would sit below the level of the defense. So you don't want you want to see that defender. You want to see that offensive player taking the ball out of bounds as a defender. But you don't want their eyes to be able to connect with your eyes, because if they can see you, then they're not going to pass that ball. So I taught my players how to be out of sight, out of mind. And so when that ball was passed. That was your ticket to go and get it. Once that ball leaves their hand, go get that ball. That was your only that was your only mission because we need we wanted turnovers. We wanted that intercepted pass and we wanted a fast break off of that. And so that was our goal. And so it, you you play the statistics because you know that they're going to be so many out of bounds plays, baseline out of bounds. You know, you can go through film and you can see by an average how many baseline out of bounds plays does this team normally have? And you can say, you know what? Let's say that they had 10 throughout the whole game. Well, of course, I'm going to shoot to steal every one of those 10. 
But you can almost guarantee that every game out of those 10, we're going to get five of them. We're going to get five of them. So now we have another source of offense. Our fast break points off of turnovers. That's what our defense was really known for. Uh, we averaged, um, and I'll get into this when I talk about turnovers, we averaged 25 points a game off of turnovers. Um, and the, the the national stats for the NCAA, they don't, they don't have that on the NCAA website. They have forced turnovers, but they don't have uh, points off of turnovers as a stat. I think it would be pretty cool to have that, honestly. Um, but we averaged 25, I think it was 25.1 points a game off of turnovers. Um, so we on purpose looked for opportunities to create turnovers. And one of the examples, like I said, I'm just giving right now is off of a team's baseline out of bounds plays. We did the same for, for sideline out of bounds. If a team has a sideline out of bounds, you're not just going to get the ball in freely. A lot of teams, you know, whether that's after a quarter or coming out of halftime, if it's, you know, the team that you're playing, if it's their ball, they're not, to me, this is the way I saw it. I'm not just going to let them just get the ball and just pass the ball in, just a free pass in. No, you're going to come out of halftime and take the ball out on the sideline. You're going to fight to get that in. You're going to fight to get that ball inbounds, period. Like there's, there's no free time. There's no free passes. There's nothing free. Um, and you can probably feel my, my, my zeal with this, but if we're going to compete, we're going to compete. And if I could come out of bound out of halftime and, and, and my opposing team is taking the ball out and we can get a turnover right there, that shifts the momentum. So we're going to deny that pass, you know, and here's the thing throughout the season, even during the preseason, I trained my players for this. You know, a lot of teams, they can't full court press the entire game because they're tired or they don't have the players for it or, or whatever. You can make the players for it. You know, we're going to we're going to press you all game. We're going to deny inbounds and inbounds passes all game. But you have to train your players for it. And so that's that's what I did. We we had extensive training. Um, you know, I took my players through conditioning that I did as a pro, you know, um, because I knew that the stuff I did, it works. It worked for me as a player. I could I, I was at the point as a player where I could full court press the entire game and not come out. But that's the kind of conditioning that I had. And I had the mindset of if coach needs me on the court the whole game, then I'm going to be the one he can or she can trust to have in the game, period. And I knew that because of that, I had to condition. So I had to do extra conditioning after practice, before practice, when practice wasn't in. Um, conditioning that wasn't assigned by the coach so that I can be at that type of conditioning. So I took my conditioning that I did, as I did as a player that was instructed by a strength and conditioning coach and as my and from my coach. And I took the things I did on my own and I brought those together. And that's how I trained my team when I was an acting head coach at the Division two level. That's how I trained them. And that's why I say us being top 10 in the nation in those categories having the record we had and all those things, it wasn't by accident. It was not an accident at all. Um, as we wrap this thing up, because there's so much packed into this area, that was just the intro of the chapter. I didn't even get into the, to the areas of it, but I, I'll, I'll mention a few areas that I have here. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm so excited about this. You all, this is just something that for me is just a, it's a passion and I'm looking forward. I've talked to a number of coaches and, and I, I look forward to working with some teams, some some Division One, Division Two teams, and some high school teams that I I'm going to be working with. I'm excited about it. 
Um, I just want to help teams, man. And I think that uh, it's going to be amazing to just almost be a virtual coach. You know, I'm excited about it. And so, um, but that was the intro. Uh, but here's a few areas in steals per game that I, I really focused on um, as um, I walked through writing this chapter. Um, steals in the full court press. You know, that's a source of steel. That's a source of steals. When you full court press, don't just do it just because it's cute and your colleagues are doing it on purpose. Train your players how to get steals in the full court press. When we were playing and we were um, in the full court press and when the other team is taking it out on that half of the court, there was 10 seconds. We had we looked at it as we had 10 seconds. And really, we had less because, you know, teams can get it over half court in, in, in less than 10 seconds. But there was a 10 second window. We tried to get it as quick as we could. But our goal was to get a steal. We were trying to get steals. That, that's what we were trying to do. There was times in the game where we, you know, we might be blowing the team out and we back off a little bit. So we might do a three quarter or whatever, you know. But most of the time it was all out full court press. And until they got that ball across half court, we was going to make it the make it the hardest thing in the world for them to do is to get that ball across half court. And, and like I said, there's a rhyme and reason of that. We drilled that thing. And, and, you know, you can go back as coaches, especially college coaches, you can go right on synergy and watch what we did. We did it. And we did a lot of damage in, in the court, in the half court, you know, as they took the ball out before they got it across half court. So steals in the full court press, that's definitely a source of uh, steals. If you don't full court press, you take that option away. You know, that just gives you a higher probability to get steals and get buckets, points off of turnovers. So, you know, we did it. You know, I'm not trying to make somebody do it, you know, if you're not a full court pressing team, but it will make it harder for your opponent if you were. All right. Um, the next area in the steals per game chapter is uh, shooting passing lanes. And so um, and this is my first uh, sentence. I just want to read this in this section. It says, in order to be top 10 in the nation in steals, you must have players that are hungry for the basketball and that you can teach how to play the passing lanes. And so here's the thing. I've seen a lot of teams that, you know, they're casual to where you'll you'll see almost a defensive team doing the shell drill. Um, a lot of offensive teams come down and they're able to pass the ball from one corner around the horn to the wing, to the top, to the wing, to the other corner. And there is no resistance. There is nobody in the passing lanes. Some defensive teams are just doing the shell drill, just relocating and being in front of the player. And I'm like, man, forget that. <laughs> I'm not just going to let you pass the ball where you want. And so if a team comes down and they're in their offense, they try to get in their offense. And first of all, they have to worry about you shooting passing lanes or denying their pass that's a step before they can even run their offense. They got to worry about getting the pass to the right player. And if you, if you're a team that makes that hard, you have just added another level, another dynamic to your defense that the team, the, the opposing teams have to worry about. And, and like I say, every team is not denying passes. I mean, you could turn on games tonight and watch it. Every team's not denying passes. It's, it's to me, it's crazy because it's like, if I'm trying to make it as hard as I can, for them to score and for them to do what they do as an offensive team, man, I'm trying to make passing hard, you know? And so I, I had to teach my players how to shoot passing lanes, how, how, how to, how to do smart gambles because every gamble is not smart. But here's the thing as a coach, I didn't like get mad at my players for gambling because 
you don't get mad at your well some people do but you don't get mad at your players for shooting basket shooting the ball and missing you know i i had at one point one of my players was top 15 in the nation in steals they were you know and it fluctuated i think they was top 10 at some point and then 15th and i had another player a couple more players right behind that player i didn't get mad at that player for making an attempt to steal the ball of course i taught my defense how to recover if that player was like out of the play but one of the things I did was I taught my players to gamble, but not take themselves out of the play. So you get a player that tries to steal the ball as a, as the point guard at the top passes it to the wing. And then that player ends up out at half court because they tried to jump the passing lane and miss the ball. I taught them how not to go that far. You can play a passing lane and not take yourself out of it. So I had to teach them those things because if I'm going to expect them to do it, I have to teach it to them. So we, we taught them how to play the passing lane and how to recover or how to switch off. And when that player gets back in, they know to go to that other person's player or we, we taught those things. So, so when I taught those things, they grasped them, they, they, they grasped the concepts and it worked for us. And so shooting passing lanes, uh, that's another section there within this chapter. Um, Next one is, the all out denial. So this is part of shooting passing lanes, but it's kind of a little different is your all out denial. You want to my, my, here's my thing. We all out denied the next pass. So if a player's a, a point guards at the top, those two wings, you might as well forget that. Cause there's a hand right there. We're in all out denial. We're not letting that pass come there just because you want to pass it there. All out denial. There's no free passes. And so we did that plenty of times. And so that just adds another dynamic of pressure when you can't get when you can't even get your offense started and the clock's ticking. It's going to add pressure to you. So um, got some interesting things in that area. And pressure in the ball handler is another area um, within this chapter that, you know, for me, it, it uh, I've uh, I've been on the end of trying to help a lot of players Um, um especially with me not coaching at the current time. Um, I knew a lot of high school players. I even know college players that's, that's trying to transfer and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've, I've actually sent some names to some coaches to help them, you know, recruiting wise. And I've heard some coaches say, well, you know, we don't want a short point guard or we don't want to, she's too small or whatever. It's preference. But here's the thing. When you have a certain concept that you, uh, you play with, a strategy that you have for the game, Man, some players are better than others. And so for me, I love short short point guards, especially short point guards that can play defense. Because here's the thing. When you have a short point guard like I did this this particular season, at least she was like 5'4", five, 5'3", five, um, and can sit down and sit under the level of the ball, um, um, the level of the ball handler, and can pester them and pester their dribble and and... and and one of the things we taught them is how to be up on the player and make them turn their back so they can't see the floor like they need to. Um, taught them a lot of different concepts like that. A lot of times your tall your tall your tall defenders can't do that. Your tall guards can't do that. Your your tall on ball defenders, especially when they're guarding point guards and two guards, they can't do that because they're like six feet. You know what I'm saying? You might get a special player that can. But a lot of times you don't see that. And so for me, I love short point guards um, 
But also, even outside of my short point guards, I taught my taller 5'11 players, I taught them how to pressure the ball handler. And there was a rhyme and reason, there was a tactic of how to make the make those ball handlers do certain things. You can make a ball handler turn their back because your 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 ball pressure and your 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 hand movements and your active hands um in your defensive stance you can make them turn because they're not just gonna sit i taught my players you don't just sit and let a player just dribble in front of you while they survey the floor to where they want to pass no 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 you make them turn their backs you you mess with that handle because they they can't like push you off of them you know um they might have handles but we taught them how to how to not get beat as well and so there's just a different way you go about training players when, when when you're always training them to get their shots up and in individual workouts you're just shooting shots you're not working on defense then they're going to be efficient at shooting shots but they're going to get whooped on defense so if you want them to be as much of a beast on defense as they as you're creating them to be on offense you gotta put time into that and so we open practices with defense we taught them these things we showed them how I interacted with them a lot. I was in practice interacting. I was in individual workouts. I was the defender. I was the offensive player in a lot of situations individually when we taught players how to do things. So, you know, I tried to give them my all as a player so that um, like I did when I was a player so that they can get a, I guess, a higher level of instruction. So when they went out and played players in the conference, they've already seen how hard it's going to be um to do it and so when they do it against me or if you have male practice players in your your women's team um you know it 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 helps in going out and competing against people because you're not going to have people that compete like those male practice players did against a women's team that's just one of the tricks you can do um as a a female team you get male practice players um as a male team you know, of course, there you can't get female players or whatnot. I mean, you can, but what I'm saying, the point is, a female practice, um, a female team, you can get male practice players, and it'll make it'll, it'll make you better players. You know, it it doesn't always have to be like that. But that was one of my strategies. So um, I just wanted to clear that up because I'm not making it like it's what you have to do, or you know, I'm not trying to get into that kind of conversation. What I'm saying is, in this kind of situation, if you are a female team. Maybe think about getting male practice players because I believe that it can help. Um, like I said, on the male side of things, as male players, um, I haven't seen it where they go and get female players or whatnot. Um, maybe there's a situation where they might go get volunteer players and it may not even be permissible, but in some situations it may be you get better players or invite alums back to play or whatnot, whatever may be permissible. But you do what you got to do to help players get better and that's one of the strategies i use so that pressure on the ball was uh, one of those things for me that you know i taught my players how to do it and it paid off so um you know in this section you know it's just a passion of mine steals per game we were actually top top 10 in the nation in steals per game and total steals um you know they they um the ncaa keeps both stats um total steals and steals per game and I believe we were seventh um, in the nation in total steals. And and if you look at it like this, like Ashland, that particular year, they played 37 games. We played 29. So in total steals, they were higher than us because uh, they had a total of 597. They played um, eight more games than we did. Um, 
you know, we had 400. So, you know, it, you know, that stat is, is a matter of how many games you play and how far you go in the tournament, but the stills per game, we were fifth. And so I hope you get some out of this. And, and, and if not anything, know that your results and different things that you can get, um, you know, the statistically, um, that you can get out of a game and out of a season, it can be on purpose. You don't have to wait and see how you fall or, or, or come what may or whatever it whatever happens you know you don't have to be in that type of situation you can get the stats that you can get on purpose and you don't have to have the best players to win you don't have to have the tallest players to win the strongest there are so many more ways within a context of training a team and preparing them for battle um that you can find that can help you get victory so um that's what this book's about just trying to get you to think a different way and sharing with you what I did and how it helped me um, gain national uh, rankings and and be ranked in uh, um, be ranked in my uh, region for the first time in school history as an acting head coach. And um, just so many things I did, you know, just out of the box type things that it's never been happened, never happened in school history. And I was, you know, just blessed to be a part of that. You know, um, my head coach, when I first came in as assistant, she set the bar. Uh, we were ranked in steals that season and we got a lot of new players and we had to, you know, as an acting head coach, when she was a leave of absence, I had to train them on not only some things that she, she had in place, but I had to introduce a, a lot of new things because just because you go into a new season as a uh, team that was ranked in some categories, the last season doesn't mean that it automatically happens. And I'm the first to tell you that you have to put that work in and um, you know, it just paid off. So I just hope that, um, this podcast is a blessing to you and that for you all to have the book, it's a blessing. And, um, if you don't have the book, make sure you visit my website, lewisshine.com, click on resources and click on the coaches section and you'll see the book right there. Um, you can also visit me on social media at Lewis shine and click on any of, uh, the links in my bio to take you right to the book as well as on my um, feeds. You'll see me talking about the book and the links will be provided there. So make sure you take advantage of the book today. Um, I'm so excited about it and I'm going to continue to talk about it um, throughout December and I um, hope you guys will take advantage of it and would love to help and work with any of you coaches who have the book that need like special instruction or me to get on a, a Zoom call with you and your staff and talk through some things or how you can implement some things or some drills that go along with some of the concepts um, that I shared in the book. I would absolutely love to work with you and your program. So um and to get in contact with me, you can email me lewisshine at hotmail.com or you can visit my website, click on contact and um, leave me a note and I'll get right back to you. We'd love to work with you. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this. And um, as we uh, leave this podcast, I definitely want to give a shout out to uh, David Roberts State Farm. Um, David Roberts State Farm. Um, if any auto, home, um, any insurance um, type needs that you have, um, they will provide it for you. Um, they will take good care of you. Um, you can contact them at agentdavidroberts.com, agentdavidroberts.com, or give them a call 419-420-7700. And for my partners, Dr. Dish, um, you can reach out to them on social media, drdishbasketball.com or on social media, drdishbball. And like I mentioned before, you know, if you are in the market of a brand new shooting machine, um, you can join the likes of Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, countless other 
excellent and amazing programs. Um, join the ranks of them. Um, improve your shooting percentage of your players and your team as a whole. Um, this machine, Dr. Dish Machines, will definitely help you. And, and for um, especially for this holiday season, um, you can save an extra $300 on the Dr. Dish Machines, the Rebel, the All-Star model, or the CT model when you just mention the interview you podcast, mention the interview you podcast in your purchase and you will receive an extra $300 off of the rebel, the all-star or the CT models of the Dr. Dish shooting machine. So make sure you visit them for your shooting machine today. Well, Hey guys, I enjoyed talking about this um, defense, talking about my book, shouting out my partners on this episode of interview you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.